Combo Nation, man. The mic is on. The mic is on. We are here. Got to get this episode out to you, man. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button. Shouts to our sponsors, man. Shouts to Good Drill. We here at Combos Court are newly partnered with Good Drill. Bobby White, the CEO of Good Drill, listens to every episode of Combos Court. Really appreciated his shout out last episode. Good Drill is the all encompassing app for basketball skill development, strength training, and more. Just get everything you need right there in that app, man. Sign up for it. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Good drills. Learn more about it in the show notes. I think it could really help young basketball players, older basketball players, hoopers of any age, man. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out in the show notes. And shouts to prize picks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you and the numbers, man. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including sharks and pros, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize Picks offers Apple Pay. For quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. And basketball season is here. So can't wait to share some of my picks with you all. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. You put in $100, you'll be matched up to $100. It's also a great way to support Combo's Court. Many of you ask, how can I support the show? This is a great way to do so. So go to Prospects and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. And now, and today's episode, Rob Fodor, shooting coach of the Miami Heat, joins in. I often have these really good phone conversations with Rob, great basketball topics. And we always discuss how that conversation could have been a podcast. So I had some basketball thoughts. Invited Rob back on the show, and we made it happen. We discussed basketball culture, basketball skill, and basketball philosophical focus, and much more. I even asked Rob how he would describe Wemby's game. Just a fantastic conversation with Rob. Go check out Rob on IG at The Shooting Guy. You know you can catch me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. Let's get into it. man you know we always have these great phone conversations and then after the conversation we say that would be a great podcast so um <laughs> so I, I was thinking like some basketball thoughts came to my mind yesterday and i was like i want to call rob but it'd be better if we just recorded a podcast so we don't have to say that at the end that like oh this could have been a great podcast that's so funny and it, it, it and it's a and it's a blast too because they, they just come out of nowhere and like you said, it, you get to the end, and I thought, hmm, yeah, we should have 
definitely done that on, <laughs> on the air. So here we are. When I think about culture, like I always say that I think of the Warriors, the Spurs, and obviously the Heat. Is it still a thing that you can't have the idea of not having one player bigger than the team? Or is that unrealistic at this point in the NBA? You know, I, I, obviously it's a it's a point of view that you have to bring as a as a group. Um, and, and it takes it takes a certain kind of leader to say it takes a certain kind of top guy that. Um, that yeah. I think everybody everybody's looking to to find that right guy, that right fit, you know. Um, and when you have the right, like if you go back, I mean, it started when you listen to the Spurs, okay. And they always talked about um, that their number one guy, you could coach him. And it started with David Robinson, and then obviously went to Tim Duncan, and they're both infamous for being for telling you that I, you know, that they were, they wanted to be held accountable and they were, you know, they were constantly participating in that and that, you know, they would go after those guys. And, and um, one of the things that gets misunderstood now, as you know, is that the great ones want that they want to be pushed. They want to be, they want to be part of something bigger. They want to be, you know, they want to be the, the, the leader of that pack, but, but they also want to know that, there's something bigger than, than themselves. And that's the way it's all driven. You know, you have a group that's say, Hey, we want, we're going to get behind you, but you know, we gotta, we've got to get everything in the right place. And and I think people, I think the best guys embrace that, Yeah, both, you know, on the player side and the coaching side and the organizational side, and when everybody's on in line with at least that, Boy, you can you can do a lot of great things. That's why it's a breath of fresh air when I hear Wemby talk about like, I'm just coming into the NBA so I could learn from all the other players. I could learn from the coaching staff. And I think that's really important from inside the organization that we feel like we're all in this together. It's not Wemby and the Spurs. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because there's and people are certainly familiar with it now that we've got these international guys coming in. And gosh, you look at the top three or four players in the game are international guys now. And they're, they're coming from a different background and the way that they see what's happening here in the States and the way, what they want to bring, they want to participate in this, in this thing. And they're brought up differently. They're coming, they're coming up differently. And they're, you know, like Wemby's been, Luke is a great example too. Wemby will fit in that category in the next few years, but, but Luke has been a professional basketball player since he's 14. So he's been around grown men that understand how this process works. And he was taught that, you know, so he's, yeah, he's in that position where an experienced vet in the NBA would be in terms of this is how a team works. You know, it, there's no, cause you, you're always going to run into different personalities and there's always a, there's not always been, there's sometimes an entitlement issue. And I think that there's there's some worry as to where the entitlement issue penetrates the game. But it seems like, you know, guys like Wemby, guys like uh, Luca, guys like, you know, they're coming over, you know, certainly Nikola Jokic. None of those guys you would ever think fall into the entitlement category. And they're very mature, very very worldly and they have a global view of what they want their game to be and what they want their basketball experience to be. 
you know, they talk about championships, they talk about greatness, and that's what they're trying to achieve. I feel like overseas, there's more of an emphasis on the team. And here in the States, the emphasis is more of the individual. And how do we make the individual better? Well, certainly on the way up. Yeah, certainly on the way up. And, and the way young players are learning, that's that's how the, that's how the game is. But I think, you know, the European kids have a tendency to play with adults more. So you get a more mature viewpoint within the game of how the game's played and what kind of approaches that you should take. Uh, you know, the one, if you think about youth basketball in the States, most of it, I, you know, I get that. Well, my son is the best, whatever, 13 year old. And they're playing with 13 year olds, you know? And I always thought about, well, what was the only thing I ever learned from a 13 year old when I was 13 is how not to do something. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. When you're now, when I was 13, I wasn't playing with 13 year olds. I was playing, it was a different era because I'm really old. So I was playing with, with grown ups and I was going to learn from people. And I sat there on the sideline waiting for my turn to get in a game. I was the one that was going to fill in for somebody when they got tired. And I had to be ready for whatever moment that was when you were a little guy and, and you had to wait your turn and you learned that you learned hierarchy and you learned, okay, so if I'm a, if I become this kind of level of player, they'll let me play more, you know? So yeah. it's a different, and, and I think, you know, I, I, you know, you played over there. I played over there. I, I travel over there all the time and, and I watch the the programs that kids are going through and, and there's a lot of overlap with, you know, uh, mentor kind of players, uh, coaches, et cetera. You know? And I think that's, there's a little bit less of that. I mean, certainly great mentors everywhere, but it, as a, to use the word as a culture, European basketball seems to be more um, directed like that. The focus is always the team from a young age, you know, team concepts, like they're working on things like pick and roll from a very early age and breaking that down. We're yeah. more working on like the skill level and the athleticism, which is important, but the focus I think has to be on the team because you realize the bigger picture when you're doing that. Yeah. And I think that, I think the word skill, you and I have had that conversation before, you know, because people get caught up in, well, such and so is the most skilled player in the world. And I say, I disagree. And I said, I think your definition, not yours, but people's definitions of what a skill is, things are defined differently. What are the skills that the European kids are bringing in? Look at, Look at Luca and, and Nikola Jokic. It feels like it, it feels like it's more intangible based skills. Well, but but you walk out there and they're making everybody on the floor better. They make an entire magic. Is jumping. that is that is that a skill that could be taught? That's an interesting question. Yeah, it's basketball IQ and understanding winning. Because only a, you know it, it, it's like the old it's like the old phrase. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. So it's, it's, you know, when you go, when you're taking a team and you're trying to go far, help yourself. If you want to go by yourself, you're just going to be done faster. Yeah. You know? I think that's, that seems to be the approach because when you look at the skill set, it, it, there's a definition problem. When people say, well, they have great skills. That means here and say that you can dribble, you can, you know, you can move fast, you can shoot, you can whatever, instead of, well, this guy's a great passer. He's a great feel for the game. He's a great cutter. When was the last time you heard 
somebody in, you know, in youth basketball here talking about how great of a cutter a kid is. And yet that happens all the time over there. That is an incredible skill, but it's a winning skill because it, it, creates space it creates cutting this gravity cutting you know makes other people better there's sacrifice cuts there's scoring cuts there's a you know there's all kinds of things that that go into the game and if you're learning the game from a holistic viewpoint the definition has a tendency to be driven towards team play because that's what winning basketball is most of the time right yeah are you saying that you feel like skill development is taught too much in an operational way and not in a functional way. Yeah. I mean, it's limited. Yeah. Part of, it is, part of it is if you're not teaching in a group, you know, if you're teaching one-on-one, there's only so much you can do like that. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you can, there's, there's obviously an overlap. If you can teach individual skills, like, you know, I mean, when you had two a day practices with your European teams, like I did, Morning, you had skill development, and yeah. time you had like you they know, they they used to like break like bigs on this side, guards on the other side, and you would do a whole, a whole bunch right. of skill. And work. then you bring everybody together, or the morning sessions you're working on your ball handling, your you know your pick and roll reads, yeah, and all that. You're lifting, and then the evening, your whole team comes together. You're doing all that stuff. So, you know, there's an approach. There's an approach like that that you know everybody can take it. It's just a matter of choice. So, what I like, yeah. One thing I like about what they did overseas, and I'm sure they still do it this way, they blended like the skill work with the conditioning, like the or the warm up with the conditioning. Like you were doing some kind of passing, some kind of shooting. You might be even playing soccer if you won the night before, like yeah. before the game. Yeah. Like it, 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 it was fun. It was like it wasn't just conditioning for the sake of conditioning. And that's like that's what we do. I know a lot of teams in the NBA do that, and it, and it's it's just more efficient. Yes, yes, it's fun, but it's also efficiency. You know, when like I'll go, I'll go help um, coaches in college or high school that are friends of mine. And, and they say, Rob, can you get our team started? Sure. Now go, you know, and you just, here's how we're going to do this. And you, you take something productive and you turn it into a conditioner at the same time you're learning something or implementing something. And it's just, you know, from a time standpoint, it's just, you're just more efficient. I'm a big efficiency guy anyway, as you know. So, you know, the more things you can do together without losing a focus on the one thing that you want to get done, you know, conditioning is a really great thing to add into something when you're trying to get something else done. A hundred percent. Then it translates to the pace that you want to play. So you're actually building the habit of how you want to do it in a game without talking about how you want to do it in a game. Real quickly, do you think, at the college level, there's too much conditioning for the sake of conditioning and not blending in, you know, team aspects and individual skill work with that. You know, that's, that would be hard for me to answer simply because I don't, I don't see college basketball practices Yeah, where I am. I'm not, I'm not even. Okay. When you, when you were playing in college, was there too much of that? Well, I, being in an <laughs> old school time of basketball <laughs> conditioning back then. Right. You know, some of it was done. uh, We would do it from a competition standpoint, you know, challenging yourself against the clock, challenging yourself against teammates. It was, you know, you were building competition like that, but it wasn't, uh, you know, there's, there certainly was a lot of conditioning for conditioning's sake. Now it's it's more, but there was, you know, there was more emphasis on, we would, our, you know, our practices and 
you probably did the same thing. You know, you would have two and two and a half, three hour practices. Yeah. That doesn't happen that much anymore. Yeah. You know, also conventional wisdom back then was, you know, let's shoot this layup left hand. You have to shoot it off the right foot, which seems oh ridiculous, which seems ridiculous today. And <laughs> what do you, I, I, I would love to hear you speak to that, but what do you feel like 20 years from today will seem ridiculous about what we do now? Boy, that's a great question. The, um, you know, it, it's funny. Cause when we talk about, I talk about basketball strategy with people. And they're saying, wow, the game's changed to this. And the game's changed because there's a there's a philosophical focus on a different thing. You know, I'm sure that they'll, you know, there's, there's always going to be that balance. We're going to go back and forth of we need to shoot more threes. Now it's layups, free throws, and, and threes. Um, right. And from a number standpoint, that makes sense. But, you know, I think possibly how those things are created has a tendency to to be impacted by what kind of players are capable of doing things. Like if you have a Nikola Jovic and let's say he or Jokic and he's the best post guy in the history of basketball and you just throw it in the post and all good things happen. I could imagine there's going to be a lot more people throwing it in the post, trying to make good things happen later on, you know? So there's always an ebb and flow of we're going to play fast. We're going to value possessions more. We're going to throw more passes. We're going to throw less passes, you know, seven seconds or less, you know, when the Suns were doing it, what did they, what, what was their thing? I mean, they got up a lot of threes. Everybody thought about that. But the the thing about them is they got shots on goal because they never turned the ball over. That's actually a big thing at every level, even the youth level, like the team that just gets more shots off gives themselves yeah. an advantage, you know? No question. Like I mean, you might, you might as well take a bad shot to turn the ball over, like get a shot up at least. Hit, hit some. I, I used to say this all the time because we'd make jokes with shooters if they miss everything. I would just kind of snark and I go, Hey, hit something so we can rebound for you. Yeah. If you just throw one up there and hit something, we got a chance to go get it. You know, so there's, so it, it depends on what the philosophical focus is going to be because skill development has a tendency to follow the philosophical focus, right? As analytics said, we need to get more threes. Now everybody shoots threes. You know, we need to get more of this and everybody works towards that. So, you know, to try and predict what the next thing is, it's hard. It's hard to say because, there's always going to be some transcendent type of talent player who's going to change the game too, you know? So you think the talent of the players dictates the evolution? Well, I think it's part of it. Yeah. You know, it's obviously goes hand in hand and it also goes both ways. You know, if yeah. the game evolves to this, then you create those kind of players. And then a player says, well, I want to defeat that. He becomes that. And then the game goes back because we got to be able to play against that guy. Like stretching the floor out when you had somebody as dominant as Shaq was, like, how do you beat that guy that you can't do anything with in the post? Well, you got to make him get out on the perimeter and guard pick and rolls. And, you know, so you change the type of players that you're going to play against them. You play a speed game versus a power guy, you know, but if the power guy can play a speed game and you can't play the power, you know, there's so there's all those kind of there's overlaps. And, and however this uh, however the game takes the philosophical focus, you're going to see that with players. You know, they'll adjust. Players adjust. The game adjusts. And it happens really fast. Up here in the NBA, it happens really, really fast. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the What are your thoughts on the value of the post-up? Because, I mean, do you believe that, like, it clogs driving lanes? It's not a high-value shot? And, obviously, a lot of it depends on your personnel, right? Like, you talked about Jokic. I mean, you get him the ball. Something high-value is going to probably happen, right? That question is 
it's kind of the question is asked a lot. Yeah. But I think that the way that the way that we look at post-ups is very different. You know, the idea of a post-up, everybody's thinking you're throwing it in the post and you're depending on that guy to go get you a basket. But but that's not necessarily the case. If we have we have one of the best post-up players in the world in terms of points per possession on their post-up. Yeah. The Golden State Warriors, okay, when we would play them when they had all their, you know, everybody's worried about the threes and they got their shooters all over the place. They posted up everybody. So we would like, even when uh, we would play, we played Cleveland Cavaliers and Kyle Corver would run into the post. We would deny Kyle Corver the ball in the post. Everybody's like, wait, what are you doing that for? Because the post, if you look at Golden State, when they throw it into Draymond, Draymond wasn't trying to be a scorer down there. He was a facilitator down there. That is an incredibly effective place to be a facilitator. So the points per possession on a Draymond Green post-up really high and really efficient. It didn't necessarily mean that he was going to turn around and getting buckets on you. He was creating buckets. Yeah. So you look at it from the point of view of what are we creating from the action that we're running? Pick and rolls doesn't necessarily mean you knock the guard off the play and the guard goes and lays it in. It's the domino effect of you just collapse the defense, you kick it out, they have to close, you attack the closeout, ball goes one more, and it's this this whole thing that happened right. because of the initial trigger. That's what the post-up game is now. When you throw it in the post, yes, there are guys that can score, but now you you know it's their facilitators and all your cutting game and your open shooters and all that. They, everybody else gets better because of that guy. Yeah. So, I was watching a Eastern Conference team – and what stuck out to me was that every look they got was a tough look, even though they had talented players. And I think we talk about in the playoffs how it's very important to have those guys that can make t- tough shots in late game situations when the shot clock is going down. But how important is it to generate easy buckets over the course of a season and in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, we call those relief buckets. That's why when you see you see during the re- you, you see during the regular season. Everybody's trying to play so darn fast. And it's mm-hmm. just just to get relief buckets, you know, to get an open shot. And it's the thinking I, I love. I'll be standing behind groups of former coaches, former players, guys that are watching the game. And you'll watch a team fly down the court, make one pass, and there's a wide open three, and they shoot it. And instantly you hear, well, gosh, you, you could get that shot anytime. Well, the truth of the matter is you can't. <laughs> the last six seconds of the shot clock had the lowest percentage of shooting against it, right? Yeah. So if you're taking that, and you see that during the regular season. And if you, you know, if you invest in that and you commit to that and stay there, but it seems that as you get later on in the playoffs, each possession takes a little bit different bent, and there's a little bit more value in creating a little bit more. So you know the. Everybody sees that the game changes, you know, it's like, it's like art. Sometimes you get to greatness really quick and sometimes it takes time. And then sometimes greatness that you got, uh, you got to quickly a month later is no longer greatness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's about, that's a lot. A lot of that is about teams adjusting or how your personnel has changed. Maybe because of who knows what injury, you know, you never know. And everything changes. Injuries change. Teams change. Officiating changes. Yeah. So do you feel like teams could win like that? Like if they have really talented players, they could 
they can make tough shots, but if you have too much of a diet of tough shots, do you think you could win in that way? Because it doesn't seem like the best teams get all their baskets in that way, right? Like they're generating easy looks. Yeah, you can – some people – you're thinking that generating an easy look might be one guy creating for everybody, but if you have a system where the ball goes boom, 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 right, it's the shot, you know, can – Teams like, 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 let me ask you this, Rob. Like, if you see that you got three talented players, they could all make tough shots, but we're not getting easy looks. Does something need to be changed, in your opinion? Yeah, because, you know, you can roll defenses. It depends on, like, I'm not, teams that have to make tough shots all the time generally don't win titles. It's, you have to, there's a, there's always, there's always a balance. You know, you have to have, you have to be able to get a couple easy buckets. Uh, the tough shots, I think, you know, when you have three guys that are stars, I think back, there's there's a few teams that pop into my mind, but when you have three great players, I think most people are thinking, wow, those guys can all get a bucket on their own. But that's not, that's not the team that's the nightmare. The nightmare is when you've got three or four guys that can break everybody down. And then they get by and then they start, and then they start kicking the ball around. And then the next guy who catches it, is on the end of a closeout and now he breaks you down and then you just start deteriorating as a defense. And then at the very end of it, it's something very easy for that, for that group. That's where, that's where you can use the the greatness and the talent. Yeah. Everybody thinks of the three point shot as the evolution of the game, but a big evolution also as well, just like having your fours that could attack closeouts and make plays. The, the, the teams that are the hardest to guard, are teams that are that are spread out and they can all put it on the driving kick and put it on the ground. That is an absolute because you're playing out of closeouts the whole game. And that is a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. When was that first realized in the NBA? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I, mean, I only know, ask the good questions, Rob. You know this. We've been doing this a long have, time. It's it's really true. So I'm sure you <laughs> that comment towards you. Yeah, quite a, a lot, a lot. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah. Um, History. Looking at teams historically, it's hard to tell when it was realized because there's been a lot of teams like that. You know, you go back to the Celtics teams when they had Larry Bird and, and crew, they had a whole bunch of guys that could put it on the ground and go by you. The Detroit Pistons when they had Isaiah and Vinnie Johnson and Joe Dumars and those guys could all, you know, put it on the ground and hurt you. And obviously the Lakers with Magic. And- you know what? You know who kind of had that? The the Warriors, the TMC Warriors. Like you got. Yeah. 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 Even the next iteration of the Warriors, when you had you had four guys, Al Harrington and Steven Jackson, and they were just right. And everybody put it on the ground. That's 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 a nightmare. It's a nightmare when there's four guys that can make a shot and go by you, and And you you, and you have positional length across the board. You know, yeah. That that's why positionless. And you know, you think about. The, the the Heat's big three teams, you know, with with uh, Dwayne and LeBron. And there's a bunch of guys that put it on the ground. And here's the great part. When you have super high-level guys that break you down, you don't need four of them. You need two of them and two good ones because the two good ones are benefiting from the two great ones because they make the first kick. Now the, this, the next guy is playing out of a closeout. And that guy runs, and now he breaks down. So it looks like, oh, my God, everybody can break you down. And that is, you know, and you know as a player, 
the last thing you want to do is start running at good players <laughs> full speed, trying to keep them off of a shot. And then they put it on the ground. It's like, uh, then the next guy pulls the trigger and the ball's gone. And you're like, Oh, geez. So I think, you know, I think maybe that, maybe that'll be another, another way of evolving the game that there'll be more players. I think you're seeing more players, you know, you hear the word positionless all the time now and, and there's more players that are being able to do more things. And yes, they may be overlooking the post-up game, you know, or they may be overlooking, but the great players are great post-up players because they're great facilitators as well as scorers down there. Yeah. All right. Let's end with this. You're really good at simplifying things, Rob. And everybody's talking about this guy, Wemby. Now you got to watch him play. How would you describe his game in one sentence? He has dynamic versatility. It, it really is interesting to watch him play. He's he's, he's a unique he's a unique mover. He is, yeah. He's yeah. a people have tossed that word out. He's a true unicorn. Yeah, he is. Um, he's agile. He's graceful. He's skilled. He yeah. can shoot, and. What was interesting is he he really wants to impact the game in a lot of in a lot of important ways that move the needle. Like he's looking to come over and block shots. He's looking to help his teammates. He's looking to use his length. He's looking to use his tools to his advantage. There was a play he was handling the ball, and we had a couple guys that were up pressuring him, and they kind of got into him, got the ball a little bit loose-ish. So there was not necessarily a loose ball, but he got it where he was fumbling the handle a little bit because one of our guys had their hand in there and he gets down close to the floor and he gets the ball enough control where he kind of push passes it to the guy on the wing. <laughs> this is up by the top of the key, mind you. He pushes it over to a guy on the wing. The guy on the wing catches the ball and throws it at the rim. So, yeah. You know, Wemben, yeah, Victor, he he moves the ball over, he gets on balance, takes one step, and they're throwing the lob. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's like our, our guys defended it well, and you're looking up going, okay, because the, the idea is you want to keep it out of the post. What do you do? You front the guy? You can't front the guy. There's no <laughs> – you go double team him when he's got it. He doesn't notice you. I, I did notice that, like, even if you do all the right things against him, there's just some things that you can't deal with that he's just going to have his way because of the size and the athleticism and the way he moves. Right. In the first part of this, you know, because we're, we're, he's playing all the young guys trying to find their way in the preseason. You know, things will change for him a little bit when the vets come because the vets are going to play him differently. And it's, you know, but he'll adjust. He's, he's a listen, he's a he's a great talent. He's an incredibly mature guy. I, I got, I was blessed. I spent a little bit of time with him on the floor in Las Vegas because they were doing a, um, a hydration drink company that that he got involved He's, with. They were, they were in a gym I was in, and you talk to him, and you just go, "This is a worldly." Yeah, thought. he's a, he he's like very enlightened for his age. And he's got a, well, he's got a great plan and vision for what he wants life and his career to be. You know. And if he yeah. goes about it like that for the rest of his career, he's he's going to be a problem. When when people say because you have a great perspective from within the NBA, and you know how to take like separate the actual player from the hype, right? Like you could look at this guy and know what he is as a player. 
When people say, obviously, he's greatly talented, and I talked about how at length how talented he is, but when people say he could be the best player in three years, how do you feel about that, the best player in the NBA? From a talent perspective, it's it's easy to make that case. Um, it's conceivable, you're saying? Sure. Yeah. That, that's going to be the case for a whole bunch of kids, you know, a whole bunch of guys. You know, is he going to be better than Anthony Edwards? I don't know. Anthony Edwards is a oh, he's a yeah, yeah, he's, he's a, a he's a he's a future MVP in my book. Yeah, I mean, so you 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 know, and even this young group that that Victor came in with, and Chet's delayed a year, so he's coming with Chet, you know. Yeah, and he's got a chip on his shoulder. And listen, there's a lot of talented guys that you know, you know, especially being around it and playing, and and you know, there's more to it than talent. Like who's hundred yeah, percent. I, I used to say this. I, it was kind of analogous. I would say to people, okay, answer this question. Who wins in a fight? And you and I say to guys, you've got all the information that you need. And they think, well, who's bigger? Who's more skilled? Da, 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 da. No, it's the person who's willing to die for it. And if you are willing to, if if you are committed to be that greatest thing, yes, you're going to be against other guys. That's the intangibles that... I don't think we can shake out of people right now because we just don't know. Reminds me, it basically reminds me of Jimmy with what you're saying. Yeah, I mean Jimmy's Jimmy's willing yeah. to use others or not. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of guys. Like, if you look at it now, you go, oh yeah, well. Then as soon as you say that, you can point to the guys. Yes, 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 exactly. That's what, that's what my point is. Is we know who those guys are now. We don't know who those guys are going to be from the as they're coming in. We don't know uh, until until they're battle tested. And and until we know what their why is, why are they really doing this? Are they trying to like one of the things I do when I when I do like the speaking engagements? Because people think, well, winning is the most, and winning is the greatest. They go, the greatest players. You have to play for things greater than winning, because winning is not enough. Because when you win, then what? What keeps you going? If you're playing, like Tiger Woods is a great example. Tiger Woods was did he win? Yes, but winning actually was the thing that was in the way of what he wanted. Tiger was trying to be the greatest of all time. He was playing against the history of the game. And the guys that are playing against the history of the game, the greatest players that have ever played, trying to achieve this ultimate greatness, win on the way. And it becomes that becomes just part of the process rather than the end goal. So when guys are, you know, that's what we're going to find out about who, what guys are really made of. Yeah. It's like the Giannis quote. There is no failure in sports. Have you said that? <laughs> yeah. I guess you could make a case for however you <laughs> Rob, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time. Um, you know, you're, you're always welcome back on the show. And um, we have great podcasts weekly, even though not everybody gets to hear them. But it's good we got to record this one. <laughs> soon to change, and I'm always excited to come back, brother. Great being here. Talk soon. There it was. Shouts to Rob Fodor for joining in. Just a fantastic conversation. Shouts to Prize Picks. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right. If you put in $100, Prize Picks will match you $100 with the code COMBO. It's a great way to support the show and support Good Drills, man. The all encompassing basketball training app. CEO Bobby White 
is a big-time listener of the show. He does not miss an episode of Combos Court. So let's support Good Drill by using the link in the show notes. Supporting prize picks, supporting Good Drills is a great way to support Combos Court. Combo out.